here we are, end of Ten Commandments. Um, I don't feel pressure at all to like hit a home run. Um, if you've seen the, the TV show The Office, a really popular TV show, you probably know the, the character Toby. Toby Flinderson is his name. And um, as you know, The Office is all about Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. And Toby Flinderson uh, serves as the, the HR representative of Dunder Mifflin. And he is a, a nice, soft-spoken graduate school dropout. He's been divorced. And, and after, after the divorce, when he starts working at, at Dunder Mifflin, he starts developing a crush on the office secretary, uh, Pam Beasley. And he's, he's very subtle in the ways in which he shows his affection. And he shows sort of, he kind of tries to flirt with Pam throughout the, the show. And eventually, this charming guy named Jim Halpert comes into the picture, and he starts dating uh, Pam. And I'm not going to—I'm going to stop there. No spoiler alert if you haven't watched The Office. Um, this undoes Toby, though. Resentment and jealousy start sort of taking root in his heart, um, and kind of at the root of of Toby's uh, jealousy and resentment towards Jim is really just discontentment. It's discontentment. I don't know about you, I I often wake up and I relate to God as if he is like this distant, stingy deity who's withholding good gifts from me. And we wake up, our, our hearts are prone to wander away from our good shepherd who is with us, who is for us, and we think he's stingy and he's withholding from us and we're discontent with the circumstances in our own lives. This is actually the kind of thing that the Lord knows that we struggle with. And the people of Israel struggled with this kind of discontentment as well as they heard the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment, it forbids God's people from coveting, from coveting, from, from, of desiring and lusting and longing for that which is not ours. And so I'm going to ask this question. It's going to guide our time this morning. What's the cure for coveting? What is the cure for coveting, for coveting hearts? Um, that's going to guide our time. Um, now, you have the, the passage there before you, the commandment. I'm going to read, though, if you want to turn in Exodus, Exodus 20, if you want to, in your Bible or uh, on your phone. Um, you don't have to. You can just hear if, you, if you'd like, if you don't want to turn there. Uh, and, and the other passage you can be. Uh, on the lookout for, I'm going to be referring to it, is Psalm 23. So the commandment here in the, te- in the handout right there, and then Psalm 23 is going to guide our time. This is God's word. He's spoken to us not as a theology professor to give us a theology exam to master, and he hasn't spoken to us to give us a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to us because he loves us. And God spoke all these words, saying, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your God is that the Lord your God is given is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the word of God for the people of God. Let me pray and ask for his help. Lord, we do come to you this morning, and we ask that you would speak yet again. In your word, Lord, it's living and active, and we We know that to be true because you are living and active, Lord, but we need you to slow us down. Our minds are busy and our hearts are restless, and we ask that you would be with us now by your spirit. Amen. Okay, we're looking at the 10th commandment. We're going to look at it in two ways. First, the sin, and then second, the cure. The sin and then the cure. So let's let's just briefly define, what does it mean to covet? I don't know about you, that's not really... A language that I traffic in very much, even even as a pastor, I just don't use covet language a ton. Um, but simply put, Dan Doriani puts it this way: to covet means to yearn for something that belongs to another. To covet means to long for something or someone that belongs to another. The commandment itself, you, you've you've seen this. It speaks to coveting a neighbor's wife, servants, ox, donkey. But then goes on to say, you must not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. One commentator elaborates on this, and he talks about a candy bar. He says this, the relevant thing here in the Tenth Commandment is not the thought of obtaining and eating a candy bar, but it's the thought of stealing one. You feel the difference? It's not obtaining and eating a candy bar and enjoying a candy bar. It's the thought of stealing one. So that's the, that's the definition of, of coveting, what it means for us. Let's look at the root of, of coveting, the root of coveting. Did you, did you notice that all of the tenth, Ten Commandments, that the Tenth of Coveting uniquely addresses the heart, very explicitly. All of the commandments 
if you want to keep them, uh, you have to be very honest with your affections and about how your heart is prone to wander away from God for sure. But the tenth directly affects and, and addresses our emotions and our hearts because the root of it is discontentment. The root of coveting is a discontent heart. It's not just longing for that which is your neighbor's. It's looking around in your life and in your circumstances and you look around and you say, nope, not enough. Not enough. Think back in Genesis 1 and 2. We read that God creates the world. He makes the world. He makes a good world. He repeats that over and over. He creates by the word of his power and he looks around and he says, this is good. And in Genesis 1 and 2, after he creates Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve live a life that is full. A life of fullness. A life that can be described by Dallas Willard as a life without lack. And then sin enters into the world. And Adam and Eve heard and believed the enemy's lie. Look, I know that God has given you this world, but something's a little off. Do you feel something's a little off? What God has given you is not enough. Take matters literally into your own hands. Take a shortcut to find fullness. And like all sin, the sin of coveting has both a vertical and horizontal direction to them. In other words, when we covet, we sin against God, vertical, and we sin against our neighbors, horizontal. We sin against God when we covet. We we fail to believe in God's goodness. Coveting is a a refusal to trust in God's goodness, that he's given us a life of fullness in Jesus Christ. It's a failure to trust in God's provision as well. In his provision, it's, it's functionally to act like God has never provided for us before. We want to take matters into our own hands. We want fullness on our own terms and our own timing. And usually when when is our timing? Now. Because we live and breathe instant gratification. If you've ever seen uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, especially the original one, um, you know that the premise of that movie is this group of kids in this neighborhood, they receive a golden ticket. And when they get the golden ticket in the mail, it's time to go to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And Willy Wonka is going to give you a tour of the Chocolate Factory. And my favorite character, by a long shot, is Veruca Salt. You know her? Veruca Salt. Uh, She's the spoiled brat of the group. She gets everything she wants, how she wants it, when she wants it. And she has this theme song. And I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to read portions. And here's what she says. Veruca Salt. I want a feast. Her dad, Mr. Salt, responds, You ate before you came to the factory. Veruca Salt. Cream buns and donuts and fruitcakes with no nuts. So good that you will go nuts, Mr. Salt responds. You can have all these things when you get home. Veruca, no, now. I want a ball. I want a party. Pink macaroons and a million baboons and performing baboons. Give it to me now. I want the world. I want the whole world. I want to lock it up all in my pocket. It's my bar of chocolate. Give it to me now. I want today. I want tomorrow. I want to wear them like braids in my hair, and I don't want to share them. I want a party with a room full of laughter, which I found so ironic because she would never be invited to this party that she wants. Um, 10,000 tons of ice cream, 
If I don't get what I'm after, I'm going to scream. And now I don't care how I want it now. Y'all, I'm so much like Veruca Salt. It is embarrassing. Uh, More than I like to admit, I bet I'm not alone. I bet I'm not alone. This is us because we live in a fallen world and we wake up discontent. We stomp our feet demanding demanding that things will get better on our own terms, in our own way, in our own timing. And we actually believe that the shortcut will provide the fullness. The shortcut of coveting. It'll provide fullness that we all have wanted. It also, we don't just sin against God, we sin against our neighbor. Coveting has a a horizontal direction to it. Rather than seeing our neighbors as those made in the image of God, in temples of the Holy Spirit, we actually view them as obstacles. You are just simply in the way of what I want. This is problematic for God's people as we view those around us and we dehumanize them in the way that we sin against them in coveting. Because we're called by God to love and bear witness to our neighbors in selfless love that we have experienced from Jesus himself. Before we move on to the next section, the the cure for coveting, I just want to ask a, a couple of questions What are we tempted to covet in our lives? We have got to ask that question. What are you tempted to covet? What are you tempted, like what do you want in your life that you don't have? And if you had it, there's fullness. Is it the car that you don't have that belongs to someone else? The house that belongs to someone else? The husband who belongs to someone else? The wife who belongs to someone else? The clothes that don't belong to you what do you not have that if you had it it would be all okay this is where we wake up and part of what it means what we have what justin has been challenging us with each week is not only our our fallen inclinations of not keeping the commandments but we if we want to keep them we have to get very honest with the fact that we have hearts that are prone to wander away from our good shepherd And we're discontent. We have to get honest about that. Because the more I've I've thought about this this week, I'm I'm convinced that we live in an age that actually fosters discontentment. A culture of never enough. Never healthy enough. Never healthy enough. Never pretty enough. Never secure enough. Of a distracted and digital age, pulling our attention spans and hearts away from the benefits and the beauties of God's blessings in our everyday lives. We have to be honest about our hearts and our minds and our bodies being pulled away from the beauties of God's grace in our everyday life. Let's look at the cure, though. The cure for coveting. How can we go from discontentment to contentment? What does that actually look like? And I want to show my cards. This is the cure. The cure for contentment uh, in a fallen world is contentment in Christ. The cure for coveting is contentment in Jesus Christ. Let's look at it in a couple of ways. First, we must trust that God uh, has us uh, and offers us a life without lack, a life of fullness in Jesus Christ. We must trust that in Jesus Christ we lack nothing. That's Psalm 23, these famous words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Mine is a life without lack. 
David is saying that because he's my shepherd, because he's with me, I have everything that I need. In Psalm 103, David sings, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Listen to all that God offers us, who forgives all of our iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Y'all, if David knew anything, he knew that his shepherd was not stingy. If he knew anything, he knew that his shepherd wasn't stingy. God's people are those whose eyes are open to the beauties of God's grace in their lives. The holiness of scrambled eggs in the morning. The warmth of a friend's laugh. The pleasure of feeling sunshine on your back. The cure for coveting involves getting caught up in and basking in the blessings that God has given us. Forgiveness of sins. His righteousness. A restored relationship with the Father through His Son. His Spirit within us. A community and family of believers to grow with. Jobs to use our gifts. Daily bread. In Jesus Christ, we are living a life Without lack. Did you know that? You have everything that you need in Jesus Christ. Did you know that? In an interview with um, the daughter of Wendell Berry, his daughter reflects on her childhood growing up as the daughter of, of the famous, da- uh, a famous farmer and literature professor and poet, Wendell Berry. And at some point, she recounts uh, in her childhood that her and her dad would go on walks a lot growing up. And they would survey the, the, the crops of neighboring farms, and they would look at trees in the woods. And Barry's daughter said that whenever they'd be walking, her dad would point to a tree. And he would just kind of bend down on her level, and he would say, look and see. Look and see. See that it is good. See that it's beautiful, and don't forget it. And then he'd point to a bird or a cornfield, and he'd say, look, look at those cornfields. Look and see. See that it's beautiful. See that it's good and don't forget it. Part of what it means to resist a covetous heart, to push back against that in a fallen world, is to develop develop habits of looking around in our lives and saying to ourselves, look and see. Look and see. This is good. This is beautiful. I have everything that I need. Brothers and sisters, you have everything that you need in Jesus Christ. You lack nothing. The prodigal son helps us think about this too. You know the younger brother. He, he goes off, parties. He's wild. He's reckless. He comes home to the welcoming love of a father, embracing him with a party. Older son, you know this, the, the Pharisee. He stands outside the party, arms crossed. Angry at his father, refusing to go inside to celebrate his younger brother's homecoming. And the father's response, you know what it is? What does he say to the older brother? Son, you are always with me. Hear the grace in his voice. All that I have is yours. God has given us all things in Jesus Christ. Second, if we want to push back against the coveting and embrace the cure of contentment in Jesus Christ, we must remember God's faithfulness. We must remember God's faithfulness. God's people are those who know that they have a history with God. 
They have a history with God that God has a track record of keeping promises, of more food on the table, of providing for our daily needs. If you're following Jesus, I want to ask you this question. How has God been faithful to you in your life? How has God been faithful to you in your life, throughout your life? The past few years, the past few months, the past few weeks, the past few days. Do you remember that time when the Lord provided friendship for you when you were lonely? Do you remember that? you remember when the Lord provided for you and your family financially when the budget was really tight and you lost your job? Do you remember when the Lord gave you clarity when you were confused about a big decision? Do you remember when the Lord encouraged you and lifted you out of darkness the last time you were depressed? If we are to be a people who are content in Christ, we are to remember God's faithfulness in the past. But we also have to trust Him with His timing. We have to trust Him in His timing. More often than not, we, when we covet, we want to take matters into our own hands because we, we doubt God's good timing for our lives and His provision. Like Veruca Salt, we look around and we see lack, so we, so we think, and we say, I don't care how, I want it when? Now. I want it now. But life in the wilderness of a fallen world, there's all kinds of uncertainty. We see the lack. We don't know where the next meal is going to come from. We don't know how friendship is going to happen. We don't know how we're going to pay the bills. We don't know how. It's foggy and uncertain. But since God has been faithful to you in the past, He's not going to stop. Because He's been faithful to you in the past, it informs how we should be looking at the future. He's going to provide because He always has. Maybe not in the way that you want or how you want or when when you want, but He's going to. He will keep his word, you can trust him. But as we live in a culture and, and in a, with a life of instant gratification, trusting in God's timing is going to stretch us. I do not want to romanticize that. It is going to stretch us. It's not going to be easy. It's going to mean patience. It's going to mean self-control. And it's going to mean a lot of waiting. Contentment in Christ involves trusting in His good timing. Do you notice how the Ten Commandments began? I wanted to read them all uh, on purpose because the commandments begin this way. Justin has been emphasizing this the whole time. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So before the Lord gives His law, what does He say to His people? He says, I want to remind you who I am and who you are. What has happened? I have rescued you. You are a rescued people. Do you see it? He's saying before you work out the details, the nitty gritty of keeping my my law in your life, I want things to be very clear between us. I have rescued you. You are a rescued people. And that great rescue was called the Exodus. They are delivered from Egyptian bondage. It functioned, like one of my friends says, as Israel's Easter. They had an Easter, and it was the exodus of being rescued by God, that great salvation event. God is saying in the Tenth Commandment, Look, I have done for you what you never could have done for yourself. You are my covenant people. I've bound myself to you. I have made promises, and I will keep them. I'm not stingy to you. 
And that was Israel. But what about us? Surely the cross and the resurrection, the empty tomb is the great proof that God has secured everything that we need, that we too are a rescued people. At the cross, Jesus bore our sin and all the wrath that came with it in his resurrection. He said that death will not have the last word. Surely, friends, the cross and the resurrection show us that we can trust God. That even when we look around in our lives and we, we perceive lack, that we can trust that we actually have no lack in Jesus Christ. When we look at Jesus Christ, we can look at our life and experience the cure for covetousness. We can have contentment in our jobs, not someone else's. With our spouse, not someone else's. With our meal, not someone else's. In your family, with your house, with your daily bread. Believe it or not, we could actually be a people who is so content. We can be content in our suffering. Surely as we see Jesus Christ our good shepherd. We can say with David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That even when I walk through the valley. Of the shadow of death. I won't fear why. Because the shepherd is with me. And he's always going to be with me. And that's good news. Let me pray for us. Lord we come to you and we want to be honest this table shows us that we have a life without lack in Jesus Christ but Lord the wilderness of a fallen world it's so uncertain and we want uh, things on our own terms and our own timing and we want it now Lord would you give us patience would you give us self-control would you give us a steady composure with our minds and hearts on the cross and the resurrection. Lord, that you have secured our good and that everything we need is in Jesus Christ. We are yours and you are ours. Amen.